It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to an emergency edition of the Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. Bill, it seems so strange to be in here in the middle of winter, uh, really not not having to think about baseball for a few weeks until this week. Um, and here we are with some huge news coming out of uh, Boston and really out of really all of Major League Baseball. But, uh, you know, first of all, I want to say this is kind of a reverse of roles here. Usually I'm in the big chair in the, in the luxurious uh, Providence Journal podcast studio. But because you're, you, you've come so far with your, uh, your popular uh, podcast with Kevin McNamara, The Pick and Pop, where you run the board, I get to kind of sit back a little bit now and let you sweat the details of, you know, not pressing the wrong button and not, uh, not you know, erasing the podcast, which uh, I might have done once. You going to pick on me? Is that uh, no. what we're going to do? No. You're going to pick on me for the next 30, 45 no, minutes, I'm, however long it is? I'm not picking on I'm, I'm just genuinely happy that, you know, I don't have to, like, look at the levels as much. We uh, we expected that this was going to be a very interesting offseason for the Red Sox. We expected <clears throat> a couple surprises, uh, a couple of headlining moments. We just didn't think that they would be of this variety whatsoever. So... Um, just to, by way of introducing ourselves again, this is Bill Corey. I'm the sports editor of the Providence Journal, and uh, with me is uh, Red Sox beat writer um, Bill Koch, who has been doing double duty these days because he's had to kind of jump back into the Red Sox beat while still covering URI basketball and maybe some high school and anything else that that comes our way. But boy, um, what a what a week it's been! And so, <clears throat> I'm just going to start out by. Um, uh, saying that when this stuff went down this week, I have to say I was shocked because I didn't really think it was going to explode at to this level. And what I mean by that is we knew that Major League Baseball was investigating what was happening in Houston with sign stealing, and we certainly knew that Alex Cora, who was the uh, bench coach for the Houston Astros, before coming over to the Red Sox was part of that. But never in my wildest dreams did I think that that investigation would lead to, as we sit here now, the dismissal of three managers and a one general manager. Um, it just it just threw me for a loop. Now I'm not saying it's not warranted. I just don't I just don't know how many people really expected like, oh yeah, when that comes out, all these people are going to be losing their jobs. Baseball had a heart attack. We we knew that it was maybe a little overweight, maybe a little bit out of shape, uh, right. maybe had high blood pressure a little bit over this issue, the electronic sign stealing. We saw maybe some symptoms beforehand dating back to 2017 and the Apple Watch and Rob Manfred's <clears throat> directive to all teams, yep. don't be fooling around with the sign stealing nonsense. Um, but all of a sudden, baseball's on the floor this week trying to deal with you know, chest pains. And, and this is all metaphorical, obviously, yeah. but it's so sudden, it's so severe um, that you can't help but be surprised with what's going on. Right. And, no, severe is absolutely the word for it. Um, and the timing of it is stunning because, you know, usually this is sort of the quietest time of the baseball calendar. You know, you've just had the winter meetings. 
Um, you know, we started to see some of the arbitration settlements come out recently. Most of your major free agents have signed. Right. We're still, you know, about three, four weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting. So, you know, usually this time of year, we're getting ready for a Patriots Super Bowl. We don't have to be un- encumbered by that this year. That's true. But, um, <clears throat> wow, uh, you know, just what, what transpired is really head spinning to me. You know, uh, first of all, it was... The, uh, the news that uh, Astros manager A.J. Hinch was suspended for a year, which was followed quickly by uh, the ownership of the Astros firing him or right. parting way. Well, no, they, they didn't part no, ways. They were they, fired. They fired. A.J. Hinch and Jeff Luna <laughs> right, were fired. Right. And then uh, the next day, you know, the hammer, falls, uh, the hammer falls in Boston. And then today, Carlos Beltran and the Mets uh, parted ways. Um so let me ask you this, Bill. When you saw uh, what happened in Houston and when you read the involvement that Alex Cora had in, in, that, um, in that scandal, what did you think might happen in Boston? Did you, did you foresee Cora being out in Boston? I thought he was going to be in trouble. Yeah. I, I didn't necessarily think that he was going to be fired. I, I probably saw a way for him to survive this he had two years left on his contract if you assume that he gets a one-year ban like aj hinch and jeff luno did he still has a club option for 2022 so you feel like the red sox could sort of recoup that year maybe use a bridge year with ron Mm renicky or or somebody like that to sort of lead the team Um, because they seemed very committed to alex cora and i think He's very well liked in that clubhouse. No uh, question. And we'll, we'll yeah. go more in depth into that a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he was you know, he was a, a great fit for the market, um, was a guy who was liked by the players, uh, understood how to play the media game in Boston. Uh, it, it was just it was surprising to see it reverse like that so quickly. Um, when Houston's penalties came down, the, the other – I guess the other – reaction that I had was Houston's done a lot more than just steal signs. They've had other things go on in that organization, whether it's trading for Roberto Osuna, mm. which Jeff Luno did while he was suspended for committing domestic violence in Toronto, or whether it was Brandon Taubman having an outburst in the clubhouse <clears throat> uh, directed at a female reporter over the Osuna trade, um, you know, or whether it was you know, harsh dismissal of some scouts in Houston and, you know, some bad feelings in the front office there. There was there was sort of a collection of things. You, you, they barred a, a Detroit reporter, um, you know, from the clubhouse yeah. during a series with the Tigers. They, they barred that reporter from speaking to Justin Verlander after his start. So, you know, there was a collection of things that were done in Houston over a period of two or three years that I felt they were pretty reprehensible franchise. Mm. And and I think Jeff Luno was at the, the forefront. He was certainly presiding over a lot of that. Uh, I don't think a lot of it was A.J. Hinch's doing, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it was in the front office, and, and I think it was you know pretty tacitly endorsed by Jim Crane because there, there was no punishment forthcoming from the owner. Um, I think once these bans got handed down by Major League Baseball a year for each guy, I think Crane saw his chance to try to clean house and and say to Major League Baseball, all right, look, you fined us $5 million. You've taken away four draft picks over the next two years. If I fire the GM and the manager, will you leave me alone? If (laughs) if anything else comes out further from this, can can you at least look and say that I've acted? 
the Red Sox didn't have these sort of priors, you know, shall we say, if you're going to look at a, a criminal record. Well, no. It, I mean, it they, wasn't quite to the level. They had the whole Apple Watch thing. That's nowhere near to the level. Yeah. But, of, and we'll get more into that yeah. in a bit. But they didn't have anywhere near the, the previous record of bad behavior that Houston did. Right. So I was a little bit surprised. But, you know, the more the week unfolded, you just got the feeling that, that Cora was not going to be able to survive this. You know, um, stealing signs in baseball is as old as the game itself, obviously. No question. But um, the the, uh, the third rail, so to speak, here is that you can't use electronic devices or any t- kind of technology, whatever that might be, carrier pigeon. <laughs> you can't use any kind of technology to help you do it. If you can just, you know, see it with your own eyes and figure out the code and... and and uh, decipher the code and, and relay it. That's one thing. But uh, you know, watching uh, a video trained on the catcher for the signs or uh, on the pitcher for tendencies or anything like that, and then trying to relay that in real time is obviously a no-no. And and uh, you know, that certainly looks like what uh, Cal- Alex Cora was doing uh, or orchestrating down in down in Houston. Um, when I watched that press conference on. Um, what, Wednesday? Wednesday. Uh, Fenway in, Park. In Fenway. Wednesday. I wasn't there, but I watched yes. it. I'm, I'm sure you watched it. I did. Um, you were traveling, I believe, to Philadelphia at the time. I was going to Philadelphia. I had it on on the train. The Red Sox uh, put it out live. They periscoped it. Right, right. So a couple of things struck me on that. The first is that you know Tom Werner had no, had no problem saying that Alex uh, Cora admitted to, to making these mistakes and doing these things. He was the hard man, wasn't he? <laughs> right. He was. Like, there was no problem with him saying, yeah, Cora said he did it. Yeah, he was. Um, and then they also said that they uh, they they urged the fans in in Boston to reserve judgment, and they right. tried to make the point over and over that what they were doing uh, with Cora was based on what happened in Houston, and that the the uh, report on Boston has not been completed. Um, you know, and that sounds nice, but I have to say that if they think that. If they truly believe that Alex Cora did not do anything wrong in Boston, and this was really from what happened in Houston, uh, I have a hard time believing that they would get rid of him now. Uh, 100% agree. There, you there's know. no way. And the Red Sox were very careful. They're very PR conscious. Yeah, I've heard that. As we know. Uh, they were very careful in the statement that they put out Tuesday night to say that we mutually agreed to part ways. Yeah, right. You would have to grab the Red Sox managerial job out of Alex Cora's cold, dead hands. He was never going to give up that job. He said, however many times, it was his dream job. It was his dream market. The fact that baseball means so much to Red Sox fans. The fact that you're in a position where you can win every single year. It's a place where he played. It's a place where his twins were born. Uh, He was pretty much starting over. Um, You know, looking at... 10, 15, 20 years here. He he was spoke of long-term planning and you know was sort of out of that player's vagabond existence where you go from city to city right. and you're a free agent and you get traded and whatever else. Especially him because he wasn't a star and he was That's just right. a role player and and uh, yeah, I mean th- those guys kind of they they have two or three or four years with the team and then they're on to the next team. This almost felt like it was maybe the first time in his baseball career that he was putting down roots and, and felt comfortable. And was quite good at what he did, um, you know. But you introduce the, this element to it, and you know, it just clouds everything that happened. Whether it be in 2018, 2019, 
2017 when he was with the Astros. Uh, and you, it's going to be debated for a long time, probably until long after you and I are gone, uh, what the legacy of that 2018 Red Sox team is going to be. Well, we're going to get to that because, um, you know, obviously that does change, I think, my uh, view of that team. And, and we, we certainly should get to that. But let's not jump too far ahead quite yet. Um, hmm. Uh, I mean, the point I'd like to make about this is that I can't imagine that the Red Sox brass could see a way in which they would keep Cora. So I'm sure when they had that conversation, it was something like, there's no way we can keep you. So how are we going to make this sort of a civil exit? And okay, they, they got to the mutual parting of the ways, but I can't imagine that you know, Cora was saying, uh, I'd want to go. And the brass was saying, oh, no, we want to make sure you're here, you know. Right. So, um, I, I don't know, I just found that kind of disingenuous. But but regardless, the, the bottom line is the same. Cora is gone. And and now, uh, Chaim Bloom, the, the new uh, chief baseball officer, they keep changing that title. Right. It used to be GM, then it was president of baseball operations right. and whatever. Uh, so now, he's doing something that I don't think he was thinking he would have to do with Boston for some time. I mean, he was brought in for lots of other reasons. I mean, he was here to kind of clean up the financial mess that uh, with the contracts that Dombrowski left behind, kind of rebuild the farm system, uh, try and figure out ways of, of uh, uh, tamping down that, uh, that payroll. I think the one sort of, uh, sort of constant that he thought he had was the manager. Right. You know, well-liked, successful, young, Figured, hey, this guy's probably going to be around three, four, five, six years into the future. I'm not going to have to cross that bridge for a while. Well, here we are, and now Heim Bloom is 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 uh, going to be conducting the the uh, the search for a new Red Sox manager. And uh, Bill, you've been writing about some of the potential candidates. Obviously, Jason Veritek is a name that we keep hearing a lot about. Do they stay in-house with somebody like Ron Renneke? Although I, I think it seems kind of clumsy now because he was sort of part of that staff. Uh, I know there's been talk on the radio of perhaps, you know, because because we're in middle to late January and we're a month away from spring training, maybe this isn't the ideal time to find your long-term managing uh, a managerial uh, candidate, maybe you find sort of a bridge manager, somebody who's willing to, you know, like the a Bruce Bochy type who just retired and might want to do it for a year or two. I don't know. It, it's There's lots of different directions that Bloom can go in. What do you think? It, it's a really difficult situation for Bloom. Uh, certainly not what he <clears throat> bargained for. And, you know, I think, and I wrote this for Friday's Journal, he's going to have to deal with human beings in that clubhouse who, who are probably – you're going to be a little bit scarred here. Uh, you know, there's a certain certain group of Red Sox there who got very close to Cora. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he developed very strong personal relationships with with some of those players, and you know, I think it's going to be hard for them at first. You know, maybe to move on, and and you know, like I alluded to earlier, these guys are professionals. It's part of the game. <clears throat> Teammates come and go. Coaching staffs, managers, they come and go. Um, but I don't know if you necessarily had a manager who's related as well to the players in Boston since Terry Francona. 
Um, that's 2011. Yeah. And, and no, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, obviously, Bobby Valentine didn't relate to certainly them. did not. And, <laughs> and and even Farrell, you know, certainly better than Valentine, but was nowhere on the level of Francona or Cora. He he was a little bit uh, distanced from from a few guys on yeah. the team, and you know, certainly the younger players who came up, you know, whether it's Xander Bogarts or Mookie Betts or uh, you know guys who were going to be future cornerstones <clears throat> on this team. Farrell seemed much more. A veterans manager, he seemed a lot more comfortable with the makeup of that 2013 team. Mm. Um, you know, the Mike Napoli's and the Shane Victorinos and the Johnny Gomeses, uh, than trying to bring the best out of Raphael Devers, let's say. Right. Um, you know, and sort of living with those mistakes going forward. That, mm. that wasn't necessarily Farrell's way. Mm. Um, you know, so I think in that respect, Cora was a, a breath of fresh air for these guys. And, you know, I think they're going to have some soul searching to do, and, and it's going to test their professionalism going forward uh you know i look at high and bloom and and he hasn't made a managerial hire yet he's participated in a couple search processes in tampa uh but ultimately the decision hasn't been his right um so i think that just looking in terms of who he might be considering or who the red sox might end up with i don't know if we can necessarily predict that because we don't know the guy who's making the decision very well yet he doesn't really have a track record no, yet. No, I, I mean, he came here, you know, in the offseason, basically. And we really, you're right, we haven't talked to him very much. We haven't seen what his, I mean, he, he, we're starting to see some of the smaller moves that, that he's making here. But he certainly hasn't made, you know, there haven't been any blockbuster moves in the short time that he's been here. Uh, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's it's really um, it's really thrown, I think, everyone for a loop, including him, probably. <laughs> what, what we can guess, you know, just based on his background and, and some circumstantial <clears throat> things around him, mm-hmm. uh, a really smart guy, graduated from Yale, was in the Rays organization for 15 years. So there are a few things about him. First, value, first and foremost, is the most important thing. Uh under High and Bloom, he's going to be looking for any possible way to improve the roster, the front office, the farm system, whether it's by three, four, five hundred thousand dollars on the payroll or by three, four, five million. Mm. Uh, you know, if he can get the same player for a third of the price, if he can get the same, you know, member of a coaching staff who has the same philosophy as he does in right. terms of how to be effective on the field, how to win more games, he's going to fall in lockstep with somebody like that. Uh, that could see him shake up a few things, uh, you know, and that's certainly going to influence the manager he hires. Uh, you know, you figure it's going to be somebody who has a bit of a data-driven background. Uh, you know, someone who pays attention to analytics, who pays attention to statistical trends in the game. Um, you know, pays attention to to pitch shaping, whether it be um, you know like the drive line model or, or using Rapsodo. Um, you know, sort of crafting your off-speed pitches in a different way. You know, that's all very tech and, and behind the scenes, and, you know, fans don't necessarily see all that. But these guys are looking for degrees of great. You know, you, you imagine a baseball player. He's just trying to get 2% better over the course of the year. And you look and you might not even be able to see his improvement. It's in such small increments. But those small increments separate these guys from AAA to the majors. Sure. And, and they separate the good players from the all-stars. Right. Um, you know, so Bloom is looking for those little, you know, sort of areas in the margins where he can improve. And I, I think any manager that he brings in is going to be able to utilize the whole roster, get the best out of all 26 guys, whether it's the pitching staff, uh, the day-to-day lineup, the guys on the bench. Um, he's going to use the matchups. 
but also you know, is going to have to be someone now who puts a premium on personal communication because that's what these guys are used to at mm-hmm. this point. If you bring in somebody who you know, fails that personal side of the job, I think it's going to be extra jarring in that way, you know, much more so than the transition was from Valentine to Farrell or Farrell to Cora. Well, you make a good point. You certainly don't want to do anything that's going to sort of derail the prog- the progress we've seen with Raphael Devers, for for instance, and even even Xander Bogarts, who's who's still a young player. He's a veteran, but he's a young player as a veteran. Christian Vasquez, right. Eduardo Rodriguez, right. you know, Mookie Betts to a degree. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, you know, Cora came in and, and had plans for Mookie Betts right away. Yeah. Uh, you know, told Mookie Betts, "You can be the best player in the league. You know, why why are you so humble?" You can be the you can be the most valuable player in this league. Yeah. You know, smile more, be be a little bit more braggadocious. Go ahead and be out there and be the man. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and he sort of brought that out of Mookie at times in 2018. Uh, you know, so it's going to be a really really difficult process, I think, to to sort of zero in on somebody who can do all of that at once. Well, it's going to be interesting to see for sure. And and we're uh, you know we're on a sort of a compressed time schedule here because you want to have somebody in place in the next few weeks because you're uh, you know the engine is is starting to uh, is starting to run here. They're going to be leaving uh, the, the the truck is leaving uh, Fenway Park in uh, yes, we, yes. We just got the email today. first week I forget, of February, right? Early February, like February third, so, something think it is. like that. Yeah, so, day after the Super Bowl or something. So, so you know, you asked for candidates, and and I certainly think. MLB and its investigation will let the Red Sox know, you know, who on the staff is clean and, and who might be, you know, a little bit involved in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on what MLB has to say, you'll you'll figure out Renicky's fitness going forward. I would mm-hmm. think. Yep. Um, you know, Jason Veritek is certainly a popular in-house choice. He's a guy who's worked for the front office for several years. Uh, you know, who's worked in several different roles as a special assistant, whether it be working with the catchers or working with the pitchers, um, you know, or working with the coaching staff. He knows the market. He engenders tremendous respect here. Um, you know, somebody who you would imagine the job wouldn't be too big for. Uh, you know, those veteran guys that you talked about, if you want to take a one-year bridge, Bruce Bochy, uh, Dusty Baker, you know, could be another guy that you could call. Uh, the Astros reportedly are talking to Buck Showalter and John Gibbons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, two guys who, who were managers for a long, long time now. Yeah. Who's going to fit? Who doesn't? You know, what are the merits of, of hiring in that certain way? Yep. Uh, if you wanted to make a little more long term push, uh, probably the most popular name that you hear is Matt Quattraro, who is the bench coach in Tampa right. under Kevin Cash. You wouldn't be able to get Cash, but you might be able to be to get Quattraro. Um, you know, a couple other names you hear: Mark Kotze, who, mm. who played here as the field coordinator in Oakland, uh, but knows the market here well and you know knows both sides of the game, the sort of player-driven and front office-driven. Yeah, yeah. Um, so those are the guys that you're going to hear uh, you know, over the next few days. And, and I'm sure that the Red Sox are going to want to move quickly, but it's, it's a difficult decision. It's a very complex decision for them to make. You know, I, I know that uh, there are odds out there already on who's going to be the manager, and I think Ver- Veritek is probably at the top of that list. But I, I have to wonder if he truly wants to be the manager. You know, right. I, I don't know. Maybe he does. But I always got the, the sense that Tech enjoyed sort of doing what he's doing, where he's not really in the, in the spotlight as much. Uh, obviously, you become the manager of the Boston Red Sox. It's the most thankless job in New England. I, I think he's been away long enough from the day-to-day grind where he'd be ready to step back in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do. 
And, you know, I think that he would be a good choice. I mean, we've seen plenty of examples of, of uh, former catchers becoming managers. Obviously, yes. they think through the game more so than any, any other position player. Um, uh, well, a lot of times you see position players can't relate to pitchers and pitchers can't relate to position players. Right. The catcher has to do both. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, and it would be a home run with the fans. Obviously, Veritek, very, very popular. He you won, win the press conference that way. <laughs> he won, he won uh, some championships with the Red Sox. So, uh, you know, if. if might, have, uh, might have had a little squabble with A-Rod that uh, some folks have remembered. That, that's, a, that's a badge of honor. <laughs> that's absolutely. Right. That's right. Absolutely. So, uh, so uh, we've been uh, looking ahead here, but um, I, I want to look back a little bit, and and in, uh, by by saying that, what I mean is, um, you know, so if you look back at Alex Cora's uh, two seasons in Boston, mm. uh, win the wins the World Series in his first year, twenty eighteen, sets a franchise record for for regular season wins for one hundred and eight, and goes on to uh, never trail. Well, I shouldn't say he did trail. They, they lost one, uh, an opening game in, in the postseason, but was really never in trouble in the postseason. Right. Uh, wins that uh, World Series against the Dodgers. And, Bill, I remember you and I did a podcast to put uh, the 2018 season to bed, and we got around to the discussion of which is the, the greatest Red Sox team ever. And uh, I was making, I made the point at the end of that podcast that I thought that team, the 2018 Red Sox team was the greatest team because they never they they were never really threatened in the postseason. I agreed with you. Well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think that 2007 had something to say about that the, the, the 2007 Red Sox. But well, now they do. They do now, right? <laughs> but but it's a, it's a valid question now. What do you make of that of that uh, of that season? Now, obviously, to be fair, we haven't heard the outcome of the MLB investigation as to what Cora. Or any mem- any members of his staff did did they in fact employ the same techniques here in Boston that was that were used in uh, Houston? Well, I mean, obviously they weren't banging on uh, a barrel as far as we can tell. Yeah. We don't remember that. Right. But were there any, some other ways where they were deciphering using video um, the the, uh, the signs and, and relaying them to the batters? Um, so you know, I am still sort of holding out some hope that maybe he didn't do it so bad here but um i think it'd be naive to say that that they didn't cross the line in some way in in boston so it's tough now you look back at 2018 i know the dodgers or (laughs) i think the la city council voted today or yesterday to ask mlb to award the dodgers the world series championship from that season right you know alleging that obviously the red sox cheated and you know it's hard now because it's it's certainly um it certainly gives you, I think, an unfair advantage if you know what pitch is coming. And, you know, now that does, does that mean they were not a good team? No, of course, they were a very good team. They were great pitching, you know, great uh, uh, situational hitting. But, you know, if they did know, you know, with 0-2, this pitcher is going to throw me in a changeup now and I'm going to wait for that pitch and belt it over the right field wall, you know, it, it makes me sort of... Uh, reassess my my uh my uh, praise for 2018 well first things first they're not taking away the titles <laughs> we know that's that. <laughs> that's high school ncaa right. stuff right. You, you cheat you you have a kid who's 
you know, committing NCAA violations, a coach who's committing right. NCAA violations. They vacate the championship. You I mean, vacate right. the Final Four appearance. Those no, games f- got played. Uh, of course not. That's not going to happen. You you can't go back and say, oh, we're going to strip you of the title. That's ridiculous. Right. It's not the Olympics where you test positive for drugs and they take away your medals. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's. It's inane to think that, and it's it's very L.A. to to think that <laughs> you're just going to sue somebody or beg Major League Baseball. Right. And, you know, it's very surface and phony. Yeah. Um, the real discussion, and and I think you hit on it there, is legacy. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and that's it's what's the, what is the perception of that team? That's now? correct, and and that's the discussion that you have. Um, and I think you alluded to it a little bit there. You, you still had players there with great talent, um, even if you know what pitch is coming. It, it's still going to be very difficult to hit a major league pitcher um you know your your hitters though are that good you know if, mm-hmm. if Mookie Betts or JD Martinez or Sander Bogarts or somebody like that has a little extra information sure. it, it turns them from elite to potentially unbeatable um you know now no players have been named in this so I, I don't want to make it sound like you know those three guys specifically are culpable right just right. using them as examples but um Certainly, there is going to be discussion about that team going forward. Anytime they come up, there's going to be the the introduction, the 2018 Red Sox. This is what they did. But this is what we found out later on. There's always going to be that but there. The fact that uh, the Red Sox have a couple of things going against them. One, they play in Boston. And the rest of the country already doesn't like Boston, Mm -hmm. thanks in large part to the Patriots and all their success. That's right. And obviously the Patriots have also had their run-ins with some of their skullduggery uh, off the field. Um, And the other thing, unfortunately, is the Red Sox did not continue their winning ways in 2019 right they kind of uh you know their production fell off now they still had a pretty good offensive team in 2019 right it wasn't wasn't what they had in 2018 but really it was their pitching that truly let them down last season right but you know it's easy to say oh so you know you're able to steal signs and win 108 games and win the world series but when you stop stealing signs you don't even make the playoffs right you know, so that, that that doesn't sort of help the Red Sox argument. Um, I sort of fall somewhere in between. I, I think that, you know, if you do know what pitch is coming, it's clearly going to help you. No question. But I don't think it necessarily gives you 108 wins and the World Series championship. Right. Um, you know, uh, but I do think in baseball, it is more of a direct, it does have a more direct impact on the results versus in football, you know, if you put a little bit more air or take a little bit more air out of the football, <laughs> you know, does that really change the, you know, the thing about the Patriots not, is, not that we're saying you know, anybody did with that. With all my Patriots hating friends who want to point to the cheating and, and hey, yeah. they, they broke the rules too and they got reprimanded for it too. But the difference is they kept winning. Right. You know, after Spygate, they they went eighteen and zero and and almost won the Super Bowl, and they you know so right. in a way you could say, well, if they stop, if you believe they were cheating, and then you believe they stopped cheating because they were reprimanded, then why do they keep winning? Right. You know, whereas you point to the Red Sox and say, oh, look at that, they couldn't even get into the playoffs. This was uh, Bill Corey's Mona Lisa veto moment right there. That's what that was. <laughs> uh, if if you all remember the Bill Belichick reference right. there, one of, one of the more outstanding Patriots press conferences. Yeah, my cousin. Vinny reference, absolutely. If, if you want to be a, a real hardened <clears throat> cynic about this, you, you go back to, to 2004 and you could say the Red Sox PED guys beat the Yankees PED guys. Yeah, but everybody was, you sort of go back yeah. to the old, everybody was the whole, doing it. Everyone was right, doing it, right? right? You know, sure. and, and that's, 
that's sort of where you know I think the Red Sox fan that could be one of their default positions. You know, yeah. your team was cheating too, right? Right. Uh, right you yeah. know, or or or, and and I think it's important that we talk about this too. Um, you know, the the sort of defensive mechanism that says, why didn't they investigate every team? Yeah. You know, why was it just us and the Astros? Right. Right. Um, you know, why were we so unfortunate that? Evan Drellick had to work in both markets and had sources. And Ken Rosenthal happened to work in both markets and, and had sources. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. you know, the athletic persecuted us and persecuted the Astros, and it's not fair. Right. Um, and, well, and p- part of that, too, Bill, is, you know, if the Kansas City Royals were stealing signs, who cares? Who cares? Right? <laughs> but it's, <laughs> you know, you know it's, it's, and I know that, you know, for folks who don't know, uh, you know, Bill serves as a journalism professor at the University of Rhode Island, yep. uh, an adjunct. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and certainly this is going to come up in your classes for especially for this years semester. To come. Yeah, we're we're uh, we're uh, I'm teaching sports writing this this semester down at uh, down in Kingston. So this is this will give us fodder for like uh, all semester long. You know, and and certainly what happened here uh, with the athletic exposing these two teams. Uh, you know, I was thinking about it the other day. Um, you know, kudos to to Drellick and to Rosenthal for their work on this. Um, you know, it's fantastic reporting. It, it goes to the heart of you know what journalism really is. Um, you know, and I I look at it and I I think to myself, um, you know, I sort of wanted to make the analogy to to trying to solve crimes. If you're a police department and you're trying to solve crimes. You'd like to solve them all at once mm. and, and never have an outstanding case, never have a cold case. But what do you do? You follow your leads. Sure. You follow your evidence. You follow the best tip that you have in front of you at a particular time. Um, you could have criminals out there who have committed crimes six, seven, eight years ago, mm. and you might solve another one in 24 hours. Mm. Doesn't mean that you're not looking any less hard for the other person. Right. And in this case, you're not looking any less hard for the other franchises. Yeah. What happened was they got a tip from Mike Fires right. about Houston doing something. Went down that rabbit hole, uh, you know, found out some things about the Astros. Got MLB involved. You know, MLB's obviously reading this, taking notes on this. Right. They investigate. Same thing happens with the Red Sox. They have two or three sources come to them, whether it's you know, through personal contact or, or through somebody else, and say, "Hey, the Red Sox were doing this too." Well, I mean, you had a Core natural right. You, I mean, you had a natural connection between the two. It right. wasn't just there weren't these two separate camps. You had the guy who was, you know, sort of uh, the master, for lack of a better word, the mastermind he of the was operation. The common tie. Yeah, but there is no way that Drellick or Rosenthal or anybody else who who's worth his or her salt in journalism, if they get a call tomorrow that says, "Hey, the Dodgers are stealing signs." Yeah. If you know anyone with the Dodgers, if you have any sources there, your first phone call that day is going to go to people there. You're going to start digging into that right away. And you might not find it tomorrow or two days from now or two weeks from now. But eventually, if the Dodgers were cheating, you're going to find that out. That's that's the job. It's to keep going, and yeah. and so I think, you know, there, there's been a lot of outrage in the Boston market and in the Houston market directed at Evan and, and at Ken. And I'm not trying to circle the wagons here for for somebody else in the fraternity. They're big boys. They've done this for a long time. But I I think it's critical to to highlight the fact that the Red Sox were not persecuted here. The Red Sox cheated and got caught. Absolutely. And if they weren't cheating, they wouldn't have gotten caught. Right. You know, Evan Drellick and The Athletic and any journalist that 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 chooses uh, 
you know, uh, to pursue a lead and come up with these stories. You know, what he or she is doing is what the job calls for. Is you know, pursue the leads and see what the truth uh, leads you and and report on it. I mean, they're not the ones who are firing the managers. They're not the ones who are suspending the managers. And, and you know, they're uncovering the information and then letting the chips fall where they may. Right. Um, so, yeah, but obviously, you know, it's, it's you know, there's a, obviously there's a shoot the messenger uh, uh, philosophy. I think it's more prevalent now in today's society than it's probably ever in, before. In, in the but, social media age, it's certainly yeah. much more heightened. But uh, the bottom line is if, if Alex Cora... And whoever else was in on it wasn't do you know they if they weren't doing these things there wouldn't be suspensions and parting of the ways right, right. Um, you know we can argue whether or not it was an overreaction or if it was uh, you know they they should have waited until the Red Sox uh, investigation was complete before the Red Sox brass you know we can argue all those things but I don't think that we can argue that what Alex Cora did was against the rules of baseball that's right. Uh, so, you know, at the risk of staying here all night, even though we, I so enjoy doing this podcast, <laughs> Bill, uh, w- while while we're at it, why don't we touch upon a little bit on uh, some Red Sox news uh, over the last few weeks? And I think the biggest is uh, they came to some agreements with some players uh, before going to arbitration, the biggest of which is... Wait, we're still going to play baseball this year? Well, you know, there's there's going to be a product on the field. There may be, who knows what could happen in the next few weeks, but <laughs> you know, they're sending the truck down. That I that I do know. <laughs> it's, it's almost like we've forgotten that this is a baseball team and it's a soap opera. Right. Um Mookie Betts. Yeah, 27 million dollars. Mookie Betts a, a new record salary for an arbitration eligible player. 27 million dollars, uh, breaking year-old record by Nolan Arenado mm-hmm. of the Rockies. Uh, who signed for twenty six million? I think in his last year of arbitration, um, you know, and this is this is the sort of deal that I think is going to keep Mookie Betts here for twenty twenty. Uh, I, I don't see him being traded before the start of the year. As I said earlier in the podcast, I, I think you know Hyam Bloom's premier principle, the the one that's on the top line, is value. Yeah, and, and I think he understands that if he trades Mookie Betts or tries to trade Mookie Betts now, he's going to get fifty cents yeah, on the dollar. He's never going to get right. Um, so you you keep him here, you let him play out his deal. You still have some talent on this roster. Potentially, he goes out and wins the the American League MVP again. He spearheads you into the playoffs. Right, that's good for you. Good for you and <laughs> right. good for him. Yeah, because he's yeah. raising his value. Sure. On the open market, you're you're yeah. using each other, but mm-hmm. you know I think back to probably the best example of that in my lifetime with the Red Sox <clears throat> was Adrian Beltre. The one year yep. that he was here, oh, he certainly made it work. You know, he'd sort he'd sort of he had disappointed in Seattle. He'd signed that huge deal coming from the Dodgers. Right. Uh, that deal had expired, and, and he was looking to have a bit of a soft landing with another franchise. The Red Sox signed him to a one-year deal for $10 million and basically rolled him out there and said, okay, go ahead. Show everyone that you can still play. He had a great year. Yeah. Uh, got paid by the Rangers. Got paid again by the Rangers. Yeah. Uh, you know, And for my money, he's going to be a Hall of Famer now. Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, it, quite easily, yeah. in my mind. One of the best third basemen of this generation. But, you know, the ideal thing for the Red Sox would be that, that Betts goes out and has a career year. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with keeping him here. I, I see significant value in keeping him here. I, I think he's one of the two or three best players in the American League, if not in all of baseball. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think they, you certainly don't make yourself better by not having Mookie Betts. Certainly not. Um, 
but you know what was strange to me was this sort of stated uh, goal of trying to get back under the salary cap or one of the levels of the salary cap. Right. Um, uh, it's the collective the, balance. The collective balance. whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> you can't spend more than this or you're going to get whacked uh, with this. Right. Heaven forbid. Right. But right. but, you know, uh, they still have Chris Sale and David Price to assign to big deals. And now they're paying Mookie Betts twenty seven million dollars. Right. Um, and there were, you know, obviously other uh, settlements. They, they settled with Jackie Bradley Jr. for eleven million. Correct. Um, so, you know, this is. It's not your money. It's not my money. It's play money to us. But the Red Sox are still going to have a heck of a payroll going into the 2020 baseball season. They're still going to be paying players a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they are still squarely in the window. Uh, if you're looking at a team that's going to compete for a championship mm-hmm. um, with the long term deals that they have signed for David Price, for Chris Sale, for Nathan Avaldi, for Xander Bogarts. It makes no sense to move Mookie Betts away from those guys. You're essentially punting on the year. Those guys are all going to be on the wrong side of 30 right. very soon. You yeah. know, Bogarts is in his late 20s. The other three guys that I named are, are on the wrong side of 30 or, yeah. or will be soon. I, cu- I couldn't agree with you more. This is the window, you know? It is. You have the, the prime years of Bogarts and Betts. Uh, Devers, and Devers emerging as a star. Vasquez had a great year. Great year last year. You know, year. you're hoping that, that Sale can kind of work past the issues and, and kind of reclaim some of uh, what we saw from him a few years ago. Price, the same deal. I think Erod, you know, has certainly showed some promise. Um, you, you, as you said, this is a team that should be able to compete for a division championship. Obviously, the Yankees look fantastic, but, um, you know, the Red Sox should be able to compete. And I agree, if you get rid of bets, there's no way you're a better team. I, I think last year was a, a six-month reminder that what things look like on paper don't necessarily happen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how many people were anointing the Red Sox in spring training? Oh, they're going to go back to back. They it was the same, the same team. team. You know, yeah. how, how could they not win 105 games again and just <laughs> right. steamroll the World Series? Right. Uh, you know, and that lasted about, I don't know, two, three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> they got into April and it was like, who are yeah. these guys? Yeah. You know, what what happened to the starting pitch? Right. We oh, we, we were just, we continued to wait for that uh, what, what shades happened? of the previous season and it just never happened. What happened to Steve Pierce? You know, why is Mookie Betts starting so slow? Yeah. Uh, you know, what's going on with Andrew Benintendi? It, it, it was just a, it, it was a, a collision of, you know, bad things that happened last year. And that's a terrible phrase. And I should be more articulate than that. <laughs> uh, a collision of bad things. Yeah, it was. Um, but it, it a was. A convergence just, of bad things. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but it was, it was just very underwhelming from Boston last year and you know anyone who's been around the team for a little bit watch the team for a little bit you know that they didn't play their talent level no, not not, not anywhere close no. right um, you know so you're certainly looking at this team and and you're thinking and I'm sure High and Bloom from the outside was looking and trying to get a sense of value yep so I think when you go to the winter meetings and some of those names start to leak out whether it's David Price or Jackie Bradley or Mookie Betts I have no evidence to, to say whether or not High and Bloom or anyone in the Red Sox organization is leaking those names. Right. But you certainly know that those discussions are being had. And I would imagine that Bloom was going back to ownership, whether it be John Henry, Tom Werner, Sam Kennedy, and saying, hey, look, we can make these trades. I can get you under the number, but you're not going to like what we get in right. return. <laughs> you know, right. If you want me to trade David Price and move his salary... We're going to get nothing back. Right. If you want me to trade Mookie Betts 
and and move the last year of his deal, the twenty seven million, the last year of his arbitration, you're going to get fifty cents on the dollar. You know, how are you going to sell that to your fans? You, you're still running a business, right? You're still running an entertainment product here. Yeah, and I'm not convinced they could really move David Price unless they they uh, they opt to eat most of the or some of the money or you, half the money. You, you eat two thirds of the salary and you get no prospect yeah. in return. Right. You know, trading him isn't going to reload your system. Right. Um, you know, so I certainly think that that Bloom has the wherewithal and certainly had um, the opportunity to move those guys, but I certainly don't think that he was going to find value for them or anything palatable that, that the fan base would have accepted in terms of trades. And so I think he probably went to his new bosses and said, guys, look, I, I really don't want to say this. I, I know why part of the reason why you brought me here, right. but I don't have any good answers right, for you right, right now. We're kind of stuck. Right. right. We're kind of stuck. Yeah. And now, not only does he have sort of that challenge, he also has this huge challenge of finding who the heck the manager is going to be. So it's going to be an interesting, I think, two, three, four weeks, because i got to believe they, they don't want to start spring training without a manager. No, 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 no. So, no, no. I mean, it's got to be it's got to be the next couple of weeks, two, three weeks that they find somebody, whether it be, you know, somebody who they think of as the long term prospect manager or the bridge manager or they bring somebody up from in-house. But um Again, it'll be very interesting to see what Heimblum does. They'll have somebody in, and, and it's going to be it's going to be a work with a roster that's, as you said, is still pretty good, and and one that you know Bloom has spent the last couple months sort of reshaping from the back. Right. Uh, there know, have been can, a lot of these smaller deals that that don't get the page one headlines. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we just saw Sam Travis being dealt uh, yesterday to Texas for a pitcher. Jeffrey Springs, a left-hander. Right. Yeah. Um, and there were um, remind me, but there were a few other smaller. Jose Peraza, de- right. who's a Utility infielder. Right. Mar- Landy, Sandy Leone's gone. Martin Perez, who's going to be a back end of the rotation That's right. starter. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, you traded for Austin Bryce, who's a reliever from the Marlins. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone with, they believe, could end up. With an elite breaking ball, uh, a right-handed guy who, you know, sort of comes from like a three-quarter angle and, and can be difficult right. on hitters. Um, you know, he he's made sort of a series of little moves. He signed Kevin Ploiecki, right, uh, catcher, to be the backup catcher, and Ploiecki is being paid about thirty percent of what Sandy Leone would have cost in arbitration. Mm. Uh, he traded Sandy Leone to the Indians and, and took a shot. You know, rolled the dice on a. You know, a young 20s right-handed pitcher, uh, Odanis Batista. Mm. Um, you know, just a guy who, who throws really hard, who has like a 7 ERA in, in, you know, A ball and hasn't really figured it out yet yeah. and might not ever figure it out. Right. But he moved Leon's money off the books. Yeah. And, and he got Christian Vasquez's backup for 30% of the cash. Sure, sure. You know, so that, if, if you sort of accumulate those smaller moves yeah. and, and you're sort of shaving down your payroll in that way, um, you know, whether it's a reading the arbitration market correctly like he did with Marco Hernandez mm-hmm. um, you know they got to sign him for for less money they designated him for assignment he cleared waivers and he's in Pawtucket that's a good depth stash for right. them in terms of a utility infielder sure. um, you know so he's made a lot of little moves at the back end of the roster that that's added some depth you look at the end of last season even the middle of last season there was not a lot on that bench no there no. were guys who were on the DL the, the IL Sorry, the oh, IL. Right. We're not in IL. season yet, so we're not that's in mid-season fine. <laughs> form. Um, you know, there was not a lot to bring up from Pawtucket. No, uh, there wasn't necessarily, you know, impact guys who could make up for the people you had who were injured, like the Yankees were able to mm. when half their team was on the IL right. and they just kept rolling forward. 
Right, but that's 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 where Bloom can operate right now. Yes, because you you know these big ticket pr- players that he can't he, do it. Either you can't or you don't want to. He can't do it. Right. Uh, can't so do it. you're right. If you can kind of take down some of those back end salaries by twenty or thirty percent, as you mentioned, you know you are going to be able to maybe tick down that that payroll a little bit. Now, whether you get to the point where you know Henry and Warner hope you get to, well, that may not happen. But well, and, and you know you play it out to get to the deadline this year. If you're in contention, that's great. You keep everybody. Yeah. If you're not. You're only paying Mookie Betts $10 million. That's right. If you're a team acquiring him. Right. right. You're only paying two and a half years of David Price's salary, not three. Mm. Um, you know, two and a half years of Nathan Evaldi, not three. Right. Um, you know, so you're offering those players theoretically to other teams for a lot less money. They're going to have to pay them a lot less salary, a lot less contract length. You might have better success dealing those guys next offseason. Right. When Price only has two years left on his deal, and maybe you eat one. Team pays another one. It's thirty-one million. You get off your payroll. Right. Um, you're a year closer to Dustin Pedroia coming off the payroll. So I, I think it's just you know Bloom sort of approached this with you know sort of a wait and see attitude, thinking let's see what I have here. Hmm. You know let's see what I have in the system. Let's see what these veterans are worth on the open market. I don't think he liked the answers, and he opted to stand pat and and sort of work around them. And I, I think that's sort of what he's been forced to do. But I do like to see that sort of creativity and in, in the way that he's working. Well, it will certainly be interesting to see what happens here in the next few weeks, uh, Bill. I'm sure you and I can get together for yet another Twin Bills if they do in fact do hire a manager in the next few weeks or the uh, penalty phase edition. <laughs> That's right. When when MLB comes out with with their findings, that's from right. Twenty eighteen investigation. That's right. Uh, it, you know, what gut feeling? Yeah. What do you think they're going to do? Uh, you mean what do you think they're going to come up with, or what do I think that the Red Sox are like? Do Do you think that MLB is going to hammer them as harshly as the Astros? Do you think that you know the Red Sox are looking at? I mean, the fine is going to be obvious. Yeah, they're no, going to I, fine think, them $5 I think, million, I think there's going to be a fine. I, th- I think there's going to the be draft picks. Yeah, they're going to be sanctions. Anything like that. I think there's. I think they are going to take some draft picks. I do. I mean, you know, I, the only way that the Red Sox escape any um, escape any punishment, I think, in my mind, is if they don't, they can't find any evidence that Alex Cora did anything like that in Boston. And for me, it seems kind of far fetched. Right. That that you know he would be. Uh, so involved in Houston in in 2017, and then completely stopped doing anything wrong in 2018 with the Red Sox. Now maybe, hey, maybe that's what happened. It just seems like that would be unlikely to me. So yeah, the, I think the fine is a given. But you know, it's the Red Sox. Who cares? The fine is whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I think they are going to be do- docked a few draft picks. I mean, obviously, they can't punish. Well, I mean, they can't punish Cora, but it's it's a it's a non-starter. He's he, not here he's gonna, anymore. He's going to get know? banned. Yeah, he'll and, be, and but he's not play, he's not coaching anywhere anyway. So no, you know. he he's going to get banned. I, I would think it's it's probably going to be more than one year. Mm. Uh, it could be a situation where he has to apply for reinstatement. Right, and then and then he may have to serve some portion of that ban if he if somebody takes a a flyer on him. And that's the other thing that and we you know. I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, you know, keep us here all night. But I, I don't know that Alex Cora really is going to manage again in in the big leagues. I think he may be able to come back. I think he may be able to find kind of an assistant role somewhere, or maybe in the front office or something. But go back to TV, maybe something. But you know, I don't know. I think that you know this this scandal has become so big, and teams have 
clearly wanted to distance themselves quickly and far away from from anybody who was involved in it. I don't know. It just seems like him being hired again as a manager is a is a long shot. It, the the question was asked directly to uh, Henry Werner and, and Kennedy mm-hmm. the other day. Do you think Alex Carver will manage again? And, and they kind of tripped all over themselves before they was, can give an answer. Uh, according to Jen McCaffrey, the athletic, there was five seconds of silence. Hmm. No one said anything. Yeah. And, and then Kennedy sort of awkwardly interjected and said, well, I think I can take that one. Yeah. <laughs> and right. he went on to speak about how talented Cora was and how much he brought to the organization. And, right. and as I wrote for Friday's Journal, it was almost like they were going out of their way in a, in a sense to rehabilitate him already. To sort of give him something to come back to. Yeah, yeah. With the passage of time, um, you know, maybe two or three years down the road, if he lays low and, you know, works in, you know, in, in the franchise that he's been involved with in Puerto Rico, or, right. you know, maybe he gets involved in the Puerto Rican team of the World Baseball Classic, which he did before he served as a GM. Yeah. And they were wildly successful. Uh, you look at someone like Alex Rodriguez, who. You know, had his own PED scandal, sued his own team, sued the league, yeah. and now he's the lead broadcaster on ESPN's Sunday Night Baseball. Right. right. Um, so to say that it's curtains for anyone and that there's no coming back uh, requires a pretty severe transgression in yeah. my mind. No, I, I agree. I agree. I, but you know, it's funny the PED thing. It's I think people have their I, sort of their eyes glaze over with that now because it's just been there's been so many people implicated. I think there's there's sort of this sense of well. These are the people who were named, but you know it could be a lot more people were doing it, and we just don't know. Uh, but we're going to go back to the everyone's doing it uh, argument. Right. So why not? <laughs> right. But you know, to me, it's sort of like, and I hate to bring up Colin Kaepernick because that opens up a whole can of worms. But the the point Careful. is, the Careful. point is, Colin Kaepernick was a very talented quarterback. You know, maybe he wasn't a great starting quarterback anymore, but he was still certainly better than a lot of the backup quarterbacks in the league. Could have been in the league, no question. But Should have been in but, the league. But owners, you know, are going to ask the question, and it may be the same deal with Alex Cora. It's like, okay, I know he can do the job, and he's probably good at the job, but what's the baggage that I'm going to have to deal with? And it, is it worth that? Or do I just find somebody else who I think is pretty good who doesn't bring any of the baggage with him? And, you know, every year there's a new hot manager coming up. You know what I mean? Right. Two or three or four years down the road, how many people are going to be thinking back and saying, we need to go back and get that Alex Cora from four years? You know, because by then there'll be 10 other young managers, who players who retired, who, who we would say, that guy would make a great manager. Right. right? So, right. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a... It's a calculation that you make. You know, you you mentioned some guys like Terrell Owens, Antonio Brown, Johnny Manziel. Um, you know, people who are tremendously talented in their own way, but who have significant flaws. Right. Now, it's you know, Carr is not Carr is not at the level of Antonio Brown. No, no, of I'm course not. not. Making direct no, no, comparison. of course not. But but the point is that now Cora has this baggage. You know, he's the guy that cheated. Right. That orchestrated the cheating scandal in Houston, and we'll you know we'll see what. His involvement is, and what the Red Sox um, might have done uh, too. So that's sort of what people are going to attach to him. That's right. For some time, and it's just a question of okay, you know, 
which owner is willing to kind of hold his or her nose and bring him back to do to do the job, knowing that you're going to deal with all these kinds of not only questions from the media, because I know we get blamed for everything, but there will be a significant portion of, of a fan base of any team that's going to say, what are you bringing that cheater here for, uh, for to, to manage our club for? You know, Well, and it's going to go to the players, too. Uh, you yeah. know, what if you have a player on a team that Alex Cora is managing who suddenly improves? Will the player get proper credit? Yeah, right. Or will you go to the player and say, is Alex cheating? <laughs> right, right. You know, yeah. what are you guys doing yeah. behind the scenes? How are you different? You know, do you have an advantage? What's going on? No clubhouse needs that. Right. That just brings in tension that shouldn't be involved and, and, and isn't really conducive to performing well. Uh, so when you see that Cora and, and Beltran uh, have been dismissed or mutually parted ways or right. whatever... I think ownership and, and general managers, they have to consider that the players are going to face this every single day right. if those guys are still your manager. There, that's no way for them to operate, to perform, to excel. It, it's not fair right. to them. And, and they're big boys. They could handle it. Yeah, and, and it would fade at some point. It wouldn't be as intense as it is now you know, in the middle of August in Game 90. Um but it still would be there. It, it's like that cloud just waiting there, and you're waiting for the other shoe to drop constantly. Right. And it does not create a good work environment. Right. And there'll be other options that you may look at and saying it's just easier to go with this guy. That's right. You know. All right, Bill. So um, that was a uh, that was a uh, I think a, a solid effort for our return, an emergency return of the uh, Twin Bills. We had a lot to get in. Yeah. Jeez. Well, look at this. That we're on, we're pushing an hour. If if you all made it this far, gold star. <laughs> and, and by you all, I don't mean my parents and my brother. I right. mean anyone right. else who's not related to me. <laughs> right. Gold star to you. Excellent. Thank Excellent. you very much. Uh, Bill, thank you. And thanks for uh, for uh, taking some time out of your busy, uh, busy uh, college basketball schedule to uh, to sit down and talk Red Sox. And who knows, we may be doing this again very soon and talking about the new Red Sox manager. Let's hope so. Let, let's hope the focus gets back to the product on the field and... You know, the team trying to win an X championship and you know, just turning the page to the great talent that is on display. I, I, f- I feel like Dr. Charles Steinberg right now at the moment. <laughs> That's right. You know, or, or maybe uh, yeah. you know, John Henry trying to, to yeah, redirect you. We need to have the, some like Barbara Streisand music in the background uh, or something. I, I only wish I had Charles's flair for the dramatic. He really is a wonderful showman. Um, you know, I, I wish that I could be that creative uh, maybe one of these days. God. Okay. Thanks again, Bill. Thanks, folks.